Hi, this is Skip Stewart, another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, the Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. Well, today we are so incredibly honored to have a good friend, uh, Katie Anderson. Katie, thank you for not only being on the podcast, I've enjoyed our friendship so much, but if you'll tell our audience a little bit about yourself, the book that you have that has become so incredibly popular, and, and the work that you're involved in, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Skip and HF. I'm thrilled to be here today and to uh, reconnect, even if it's virtually. Uh, so I actually came up in the world of uh, lean and continuous improvement from a healthcare background. I have a master's in public health, and after a career in academia and academic research, I moved into working in hospitals and healthcare systems, uh, first in Australia and then in the United <laughs> States and California, where um, I'm based. And what really got me passionate about continuous improvement was engaging people who do the work and solving important problems to deliver better value to patients. And so that's really where my heart is at um, in the world of lean. After uh, many years of working in healthcare, I started my own consulting practice eight years ago, actually this summer. Uh, and I work with leaders across all different industries and all different sizes globally. And it's my passion to really help leaders learn to live and lead with intention and we can dive into what that means uh, for me as well and you know as we mentioned my i have a book learning to lead leading to learn that i wrote in partnership with asao yoshino who is a 40-year toyota leader i had the really amazing experience and opportunity to live in japan for 18 months in 2015 and 16 and he and i became friends and out of that friendship came um a desire to share and amplify his lessons with the world. And this um, coming month in July in 2021 represents the one year anniversary of the book and the release of the audiobook. So I'm really thrilled and excited to be here to talk with you about that and um, practicing continuous improvement in healthcare as well. Well, Katie, uh, once again, thank you for, for being here. And I was just thinking that most of the people that we've had on this show they started out in manufacturing and then they they transitioned into healthcare. But you it seems like you went just right the opposite. You 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 were in healthcare, started with lean and 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 continuous improvement in healthcare. And now I, I assume with your with your consulting uh business, you're you're working in all sectors. Yes. Uh, is is that right? Yes, all all across all industries. <laughs> Industry agnostic. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I'm still pretty early in my, my continuous improvement journey and, and, you know, one of the obstacles for me was that, well, all that, all that Toyota stuff that that's about making cars. That's about making widgets and you can't apply those principles into healthcare, which, which I've, I've been converted and I realize now that you can, but. In your experience, what are what are some of the biggest obstacles when you're dealing with with healthcare organizations when it comes to to a lean culture and 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 those sort of things as compared so, to as compared to manufacturing when you're when you're you know you're you're looking at cycle time and tack time and and building cars and whatnot. Yeah, so there's a great question and one that you know I've gotten a lot. And having started off in healthcare actually is when we had to address from the very, very beginning. 
And I think if we go back to the principles about what this is all about and not think about the tools and, and the techniques as much, but how do you create value for customers or in the, you know, in a hospital or healthcare setting for, for patients? How do we make the work easier to do? How do we make quality built in so we don't have errors? All of these things are critically important to the delivery of healthcare and to our patients. And so if we can sort of remove our preconceived um, notions of manufacturing environment versus healthcare environment, it can help us apply the principles in whatever uh, industry or, or sector that we're working in. Uh, I remember talking with my father, who was an orthopedic surgeon, about this when I was getting started applying lean in healthcare too, and he was saying the same, the, the same things. But when I, when I stopped using the language of manufacturing or the language of sort of lean buzzwords and really talked about those concepts of value and quality and efficiency, and uh, removing silos and making things easier, all of that became, you know, oh, you can get excited by that. So when I was working in, you know, at the very beginning of my career applying lean and continuous improvement in hospital settings, one of the, the biggest barriers was people getting so siloed, you know, physicians see their work one way and then the schedulers in one way and the nurses. And when we were able to go and walk the process from the experience of a patient, all those barriers got removed because if we can reunite around what is important and needed for the patient, I think that that can bring energy towards, well, yeah, we got to, we got, we need to do the right thing. And it doesn't matter if this, these are concepts that originally came from a manufacturing environment. Um, it's about doing right by our patients and doing right by our people who do the work, which includes you as a physician and the, everyone, you know, touching that patient experience. Sure, and you know you mentioned the physicians, and 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 I'm sure that in your experience that that we are some of the hardest ones to convince and to to change and to uh, and to to engage in this process. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I think that that's because physicians have developed such great um, expertise and and are there often to show up as the expert, having the answers. And, uh, but when they can apply that expertise in a way that's really helping create a better experience for their patients, engaging the people, going back to the heart and purpose of why they entered healthcare, it really, it takes away those barriers as well. I mean, I think actually healthcare is one of the easiest places to apply these principles because it's so like creating value and, and quality for patients. I mean, that you go in, people who work in healthcare, are there because they are passionate about and they care. And so if we can reunite around that, that caring principle and, and take away all of the things around administration and all the, all the external, all that noise and really focus on patients, it really brings us together and we can do the right things. And I actually found that physicians become the biggest champions of this mm. so once they see the light and see the impact it has not only on their patients, but their team and in their own work as well, um, that it allows them to do the value creation work that they were so highly trained for. And all of the other stuff that gets in the way, you know, is, is getting taken away because things work efficiently and effectively with high quality, um, that, that lights them up as well. 
Well, well, Katie, I've got a question for you. I uh, enjoyed our friendship for so many years and really enjoy your book, uh, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, and and just highly recommend it. And one of the things you talk about in the book, and there's an origin to it, I know, is about being intentional. Mm. And uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about what does that mean to you to be intentional? And if someone says, you know what, okay, I want to do that, how would I go about being more intentional? So tell us a little bit of the backstory on that, if you could. Sure. And uh, the word intention has always been one that's important to me. It's about how do we lead our lives with purpose and not, you know, being reactive. When I moved to Japan in 2015, I needed business cards made and didn't have a company logo at the time. I just started my consulting practice a year before that. And so I had the company put the word intention on my card and I quickly learned uh, what the symbols meant. It came in part from the, the symbol meaning heart and another one meaning direction. And I've really taken this to have an enriched meaning of, of the word intention. How can we connect with a sense of purpose, our heart? What, who do we want to be? How do we want to show up? And then how do we align our actions in that direction? So it's a combination of self-awareness about what's our purpose, yet it also, you need to have action to to align with that purpose. So it's not enough to just have a sense of intention, but you need to act on that intention. And I have found that some of the, the biggest gaps for, I, I think everyone, I would say leaders, but you, can, you know, any, anyone is that we have the right sense of heart. You know, we were talking about that, that sense of heart, that caring about patients and the work we do and wanting to have a positive impact, but not always realizing that our actions are not actually creating the impact that we want around that. You know, so uh, I know you're talking a lot about how do you ask questions to lead with more curiosity? And, you know, so there are different ways that we can help. I love your sessions with Edgar Schein and I'm Peter Schein. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Schein's work and we can help in different ways and we can show up in many times as an expert, which is needed oftentimes, but we take away problem solving ownership when we're in that expert role. And I think this is uh, particularly challenging for physicians who have rightfully been trained for years and years and years about being an expert. And we want you to be the expert when we come with a health problem to take ownership. And, and you know, if you're going to be in surgery, like, yes, I want you to <laughs> figure that out and solve it for me. But when you're in then a more of a leadership role and there to help other people learn to solve problems when you still have that expert hat on and telling people what to do, uh, it actually takes away that problem solving ownership. So when we talk about the concept of intention, it's about how do we both connect with a sense of purpose and what we're trying to accomplish, but then what are the behaviors and actions we need to take that actually fulfill that, that intention? And how do we bring more awareness to both purpose and behaviors and unite them? So heart and head and unite them together. Um, I actually also wanted to get back to a question uh, HF I, I didn't elaborate on in, in your previous question around, around Toyota. And one of the main reasons that I wrote the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, was to help people see that actually Toyota, it was less about, yes, they're in a manufacturing environment, but it wasn't about the Toyota production system per se. It was about something really fundamental about people and about how we learn. And Mr. Yoshino, when I first was talking with him, I really wanted to understand what, you know, what was really the secret to Toyota, how they've been so successful and all these companies across the world in different industries trying to emulate them. And he said, there's no secret, there's no secret. And then one day he said, oh, maybe the secret is, is our attitude towards learning. 
And to me, mm -hmm. that is really the essence of this. If we can strip away all the other stuff and really focus on everything is about how do we learn? How do, do we develop people's capability to learn? How do we show up with more curiosity? Um, and how do we continuously improve? Um, we can apply that to where, whatever we're working in and whatever environment. So I just want, I, I wanted to bring that back to learn. Yeah, that, that's really great. And, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting because. You know, when you talk about Toyota and you talk about the Toyota production system and whatnot, that that all of the all of the great books have been written by people from the outside, and it seems like inside the organization that they can't really describe it. I mean, it's just kind of, hey, this is who we are, and this is what we do, and and that that's very very interesting. That uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, you know, and and it's so you know, even Mr. Yoshino elaborates like we don't even notice. We just take it for granted that this is how it is. Uh, one of the things I did love about the years I've spent in talking with Mr. Yoshino and, and working with him is to really uncover sort of what was his experience of entering this company that had this culture already as a young college graduate who he's not, he is not a manufacturing guy. He was always in back office jobs and uh, his experience of, of learning the culture and being developed in what he calls a chain of learning. And I love that concept. How are we all part of a chain of learning together and then developing other people? And that's where that iteration, it, 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 ah, I'm getting a tongue tied here. <laughs> the, the title of the book, uh, learning to lead, leading to learn. We're all learners and we're all leaders. And how do we, how do we keep moving forward with a learning mindset? One thing I wanted you to touch on, if you would, if you wouldn't mind, is that I think there's a big misconception on in organizations and individuals when it comes to, you know, we want to be a lean organization or we want to be an agile organization, and they think it's all about the tools. Mm. They think it's all about you know A3 thinking or Kata boards or whatnot, and and but it's really not. It's so much bigger than the tools, and I'd like you to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know you had Mr. John Shook recently on your on your show, and Mr. Yoshino was actually John Shook's uh, boss when he was first started at Toyota. And so he, uh, Yoshino, is the one who taught John Shook about what it means to be a leader at Toyota and taught him A3 thinking. Uh, so the very first time that I actually met uh, Mr. Yoshino was at a Lean Coaching Summit, and he was on stage with John Shook talking about their relationship as manager and subordinate, uh, was the term that was used at the time, not one we we use today. And, um, and Mr. Yoshino was talking about what it meant to be a leader at Toyota, and he was just talking about how, um, you know, it was really about how did he give a challenge to John or whomever? How did he then help that person solve a problem? And how did he develop himself at the same time? And to me, that is like the essence of leadership and what uh, this is all about. It's not about the tools, but about how do we show up as leaders and people? How do we, what I call now the leading to learn framework, how do we set direction, then provide support to people to achieve, um, solve the problems, achieve that direction, and how do we develop ourselves? And the tools at Toyota are all created to help achieve the direction they need, the targets that they need, the challenge that is in front of them to create value for their customers. It's all about the attitude towards learning. How do we have targets that are a little out of our reach so that we can continuously learn and improve and achieve a higher target? All the things about how do we make work visible? How do we go see what's actually happening? All of those things were created to be able to enable 
the problem solving and learning, and that requires us to also develop ourselves as well. And I think what's really like I take people to Japan and we go see different companies, Toyota and their suppliers and other companies as well. And people are really focused on the the tools and the artifacts that are easy to see. And it's it is amazing. It's awesome. Yet behind that is all embedded around an attitude towards learning. How can we know what's right, what normal and abnormal? How can we then continuously improve around that? How are we creating the systems that allow us to help troubleshoot when you know problems arise? The role of the team leader coming in and you know helping helping people immediately when there's any challenge. All those tools are there to help support that. But it's not about the tools. It's about it's about it's about learning, improvement, and doing the right thing, and going back to the principles. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of a lot of organizations they, you know, start off really really big and fast, and and they they spend a lot of money mm. on consultants and tools and everything. But if you if you don't have the culture behind behind the tools, it, it's just it's it's destined to. To fail, or, or that's what that's the way it seems to me. Yeah, you know, and the tools are great, you know, and and even in my own beginning of, you know, I was helping Stanford Children's Hospital when we were just getting started. Or not, I'm not there anymore, so I shouldn't say we, but we at the time were getting started, and we were applying uh, lean tools and concepts in like Kaizen rapid process improvement workshops, and we were doing 5S to help clean up the work areas. Those were really, really powerful ways to create engagement and create quick wins. Although we we realized within a few years that just doing tools or one off projects were not going to create the sustainability and the and the ongoing improvement that happened as well. So the tools can be powerful to actually to improve processes, but it has to be united and coupled with the attitude towards learning, the capability development of other people, having clear direction of strategies and goals, all of those things united together. And then the tools are the enabler. And, you know, we, you know, we talked about uh, Dr. Shine uh, and, and Peter and, and they talk about uh, socio-technical systems mm. all the time. And, yeah. and it seems like a lot of times, you know, you have to have a, a, a balance. I mean, you, we get off balance. Sometimes we focus on the technical side mm. with paying attention to, to the social side and, and you have to have that, find that sweet spot. Yes. And, and I think that medicine and healthcare is probably one of the biggest socio-technical systems in the world. I mean, we, yes, we have to have the cutting edge, te cutting edge technology, but, but also we, we, we're also dealing with human beings. Yes. You know, human beings as patients, human beings as as colleagues, human beings as as not subordinates, but direct reports or, or, or whatnot. And and that's that is so key. Yeah, ab absolutely. You know, uh, another thing that you talk about and you could kind of make the argument that your whole book is about and something that I don't think we do enough in healthcare is the subject of reflection. Mm. Um, you know, when I think about, uh, let's take something as simple as, uh, a strategic a three, I mean, one of the things I've done with many people, we do a lot of, uh, what some people would call Hoshin. Uh, so we have strategic a threes that are connected to tactical a threes connected to the frontline work, but the folks that are doing it really good, what they will do is about halfway during the year. Uh, a friend of mine, Pascal Dennis, always recommended we do this, is that we take a time out. Uh, 
and we sit and we we ask the questions if we could have done it all over again would we have started the year with a different strategic a3s than what we have today inevitably every single time we do that the answer is yes and i think it's something healthy to be able to you know document that to reflect on that to think about that because that's part of the learning process uh, the growing process what are uh, some of your thoughts katie around that because i know that when i've heard you and mr yoshino speak you can tell he's doing a lot of reflecting right yeah. and, and so what are some of your thoughts about that i have so many thoughts on the concept of um, reflection let's first start with this just the general concept of reflection and then go into how that relates around strategy because i really like that example that you brought in skip so the, the, the word in Japanese for reflection or self-reflection is Hansei. Uh, I actually, the working title of the book was Practicing Hansei because the meta theme of this whole book was around reflection and the process uh, by which I was helping Mr. Yoshino reflect with a different perspective on 40 plus years of his career and his life um, at, you know, his life at Toyota and, 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 and beyond. And the, the value that comes with reflection and being asked questions and the thinking more deeply. And even though the, the book was written, you know, is a linear story, that's not how the reflections happened. It, you know, happened over years and sort of unpeeling different aspects over time. Uh, the value of reflection that was so embedded in this concept of learning. So um, I actually was talking with Mr. Yoshino earlier this year, and I, I made the comment that, you, you know, the, the plan, do, check, act cycle, the word check is meant to be this process of reflection. Uh, I actually prefer the word study, plan, do, study, adjust, and have been, uh, you know, talking to Mr. Ishino about that, how the word check can sound like something really punitive or something like checking the box, but study has much more of a learning aspect. And I know that Deming, that was where, how he shifted his mindset around that as well. And I'm actually encouraging people even to start, like, let's start the acronym with study, adjust, like S-A-P-D, to emphasize that we need to study first, and then we can figure out what do we need to adjust and learn. I mean, it's a continuous cycle, but the, the importance of studying, we end up doing so much plan, do, plan, do, uh, and then don't really learn from both our success or our failure, you know, so it's almost like throwing arrows. And to get to the, the, the topic of the importance of reflection as it relates to strategy deployment or Hoshin, uh, Mr. Yoshino and I spend a lot of time talking about this. He actually was um, played a really important role in supporting Toyota's executive team and their Hoshin process for many, many years and helping then the senior leaders learn both the Hoshin process, but their role as from a, a socio-technical perspective, both how are they going to achieve those targets that are needed and how are they going to develop their people at the same time? And he always says, like, before you start your Hoshin process, you need to have clearly defined what is your check or your study time, your reflection. If you don't have that built in, you're going to forget to reflect. And so that is super important. And how do you then I loved your example with um, Pascal Dennis and the questions you ask yourself. How do you ask those questions in reflection? And then how do you make those adjustments? And how does that become then part of the habit of the organization, of the individuals? So you're always practicing PDSA or SAPD as in your in your head, in the, your actions, uh, and that the tools like an A3 then support that process. Uh, and, you know, I, I really, what I thought was also interesting and I learned from Mr. Yoshino and um, 
is that, you know, this didn't come just like magic to Toyota. They put real intention, going back to that word intention, to the culture they wanted to create, the way of learning that they wanted to create. And uh, Mr. Yoshino was in a role where he helped, he was like one of five people to help, you know, develop this A3 thinking as the process for learning and for sharing communication at a strategic level. And senior managers, like a thousand, this is like not the executive team, but the next tier down, were over two years were asked to develop their Hoshin, their strategies, and also develop, take their top strategy, the top thing they needed to achieve in whatever area they had responsibility for, and then define how they were gonna support their team to learn that. So what did they need to do as leaders, not to be doing the problem solving themselves, but to support the people around them to be successful and effective to learn. And then, and that included, how did they have regular reflection time, study time to make the adjustments and, and really embedding that concept of reflection into the culture and into the habits. And um, I really believe that that is the secret to Toyota's success. It goes back to that concept of learning and that all goes back to the concept of reflection. As as you consult organizations about um, about developing leaders, how how do you explain to them the importance of getting away from the command and control and letting letting people explore and letting letting them even fail at times? Uh, you know, you know. I'll give an example. The uh, a few week, weeks ago, I was making rounds in the in the ED, and there was a really sick patient who was was bleeding, and and they needed a central line. And I was, you know, the ER physician was, you know, was having trouble putting a central line in, and and it was all I could do, you know, to to not just hey, give it to me, let me do it, you know. How important is it for us to 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 lead by you know, letting people experiment and letting them fail. And, I, and I'm not talking about punching holes below the water line that's going to sink the ship, but I'm talking about, you know, trying, experimenting. Elaborate on that a little bit. Does, that's does, a great, that, make, does it, that question make sense? It, it does. And I, you know, I, I actually really appreciate the, the example you, you brought up too, HF. It, it's, it's about knowing sort of the impact of that failure, right? And so, you know, in that circumstance, continuing to let the, you know, the resident or the other person, you know, not put the central line in is not right necessarily by the patient. So you stepping in and doing it right, that that's when you should be the expert in coming in. But we, especially in healthcare, I found this is one of the biggest challenges is that we're so used to the sense of crisis and urgent things that have to be fixed now, uh, things that can't have a point of failure, um, that it becomes, pervasive across the entire environment. And there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of things that aren't five alarm fires, a lot of crises that need to be fixed now or so high stakes that we need to have um, the everyone coming in as experts. There are a lot of things, especially around processes and data things where we can allow more time for learning. The answer doesn't have to happen today. You don't have to have the right answer right now that we can give the space for learning. And I think that that's one of the big mindset shifts is about having the awareness of where is there space for learning and where is there space for failure and then adjusting how we are showing up um, to 
allow people to have some struggle and some failure in that. And uh, and I think that comes with slowing down as well as, and I call this an intention pause, like having a sense of like, are we in a situation right now where we can have some some learning and that it's okay if I ask some questions and someone doesn't have the answer right now that that's okay. My purpose right now is to allow someone to learn for themselves versus I'm in the emergency room and my purpose right now is to save this patient and make sure that they're okay and we're going to do everything that we need to have the right experts showing up to execute on um, mm -hmm. into making sure that happens. And those are different roles and and being able to shift between those roles is is I guess the challenge, especially for physician leaders about what hat are you wearing in that moment and how critical is the is the, is the problem that you're going through right now in terms and what's the where is there space for learning? Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the we get in this habit that everything's urgent. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally shift gears right now. I understand that you you collect these little. Tell me about these little Russian. Oh. I can't remember what the name of them. But they're you, the exactly ones where yeah. they're smaller and smaller. They're ones Japanese. Ones. They're Daruma okay. dolls. I'm pulling one out right now. They're actually okay. Japan. Yeah, I have a little purple one. And I'm showing you uh, for those of you who are you're listening. Most of you are listening, but I'm showing little purple one. And, and what are they called? They're called Darumas. D A R U M A. Daruma. And they're little paper mache dolls, and they're made in Japan. Actually, every time I go to Japan, I import hundreds of them, um, and I have a very large collection at home as well. And they they represent setting goals and the the perseverance and patience it takes to achieve a goal. So they're actually weighted at the bottom. It's a little hard to see for the on the the little ones, but they do. They're weighted, and they represent the Japanese proverb: "Fall down seven times, get up eight. And knowing, uh -huh. and so when you have a goal, you fill in the Daruma's left eye. And then when you finally achieve your goal, you can fill in the Daruma's right eye. But it's this sense of knowing you're going to get knocked down, you're going to fail, you're going to have challenges, but how can you get up? How can you learn from your failures, learn from your falling down, get up, continue to move forward, continuously improve, and ultimately achieve your goal? So it's I got, like I got our, yeah. it's like our weeble weeble wobbles. I they don't are know like if you remember when we were kids, wobbles. weebles wobbles, but they don't fall down. Yes, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, this this has been really really good, Katie. I so enjoy spending time with you, whether it's at a conference or, you know, uh, most people don't know it, but uh, when the pandemic first broke out, Katie and I collaborated and and got on. Uh, on video conferences with our friend, uh, Karen Ross and uh, just really started uh, moving the PDSA wheel around because we had to figure out how in the world and and Katie and uh, Karen were a big, big help to me in figuring out how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we adjust? Because we still have work that we have to do. We still have to serve our patients and the role that we play. And and so I'm so thankful for you, Katie. I'm so thankful for your uh, not only your book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, but also just that you reflect and think about the work itself. And uh, and that's really important so that we don't get caught up in the jargon because, uh, and I love your focus that you have a lot, uh, I know out there on LinkedIn about uh, asking questions. And I'm a big fan of that too. Uh, you know, humble inquiry, it's, it's as simple as I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And am I going to be willing to humbly admit that and be vulnerable and, and sit and listen? So I'm so thankful for your leadership. I'm so thankful 
for your work that you're doing out there. You're making such a huge difference. Uh, I hope that you'll come back on the podcast again in the future. Um, you know, we need more leaders like yourself on the podcast and we need to hear from you more. So we're so incredibly thankful and we really, really appreciate you. Thank you, Thanks Skip. A lot, Katie. Yeah, thank you, Skip and HF. It's a pleasure to be here. Have a great, have a great summer. Thank you. You too.